Today's we're going to be doing one of the most important things we do here at Soul Revival, which is read from God's Word. Uh, so we're reading from James chapter 1, starting at verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood that the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers, dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Well, good day, everybody. My name is Paul, one of the pastors here at Solar Bible Church. Lovely to see you here. It's that time of the year, isn't it? As we come to the close of one year and the beginning of another. There's all those traditions around this time of the year. I can wish you a happy new year and you'll wish me a happy new year. Yeah. <laughs> Getting there, slow. It's, 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 it's summertime, I know it's warm, that sort of thing. There's lots of traditions, aren't there? I mean, you can tell me what are some of those things. What the things do we do around New Year's Eve? What do we do? Sparklers. Sorry? Stay up till midnight. Yeah, there's the old... 10 second countdown to midnight. Resolutions, yeah. I'm going to hone on. There's also the, the pew, 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 fireworks, of course. Yeah, the resolutions, it's um, a promise of a fresh new year um, can inspire us to make fresh changes elsewhere in our life. Um, you know the drill. You might have a resolution for more movement, less couch time. More veggies, 
less sugar, more book reading time, less screen time, and of course, as the old Christian staple, more time spent with God and less time ignoring him. The problem is, though, it's just so easy to be all talk, all talk and no action. And that's why the letter uh, of James is such a great letter to be reading and reflecting on at this time of the year. Because you can actually sum up the message of James with a very famous slogan. Got it here on screen for you? Just do it. The marketing team at Nike didn't think that one up. They just rephrased something out of the Bible. Have a look for James chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 here on the screen. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. That sums it up. And it's teaching like this that makes the letter of James a real favourite part of the Bible for lots of people. I've probably got a few James fans here. Who, who really likes James? It's one of the most favourite parts of their Bible. Yeah, there's lots and lots of people out there. That's because it's just so practical, so down to earth. It's full of clear and straightforward teaching. But that actually doesn't mean it's simplistic because it's going to be still challenging and especially challenging for us today. And the first shock actually comes in the very opening words of the letter. No warm-up, just a quick hello, and then bang, hard-edged challenges that jolt us out of our complacency. The letter of James. You've got to love it. Not hard to understand. But is it hard to obey? You better believe it is. And that's why James is going to urge us to ask God for wisdom. And so we're going to do that right now. Before we move on, why don't we ask God now that he'd help us to understand his word. Let's pray. Our Lord, we do pray that we humbly need your help. That you would open our eyes to your word, our hearts and our minds so that we might be able to brace you at a word, even as shocking and surprising it is to us. Help us to understand it and obey it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said, the first shock um, comes at us right up front in verse 2. I've got it here on the screen for you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, now that is a shocking word. It's a shocking word to our pleasure-seeking, pain-avoiding society. But when you think about it, trials can make us better and many have realised this over time. I've got a testimony of someone here, Malcolm Mugridge. You might know him, you may, may or may not know him. He was a famous English journalist, an atheist in his younger years but later in life became a Christian. He said this here on the screen. In my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through suffering, not through happiness. Do you get that? Everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through suffering and not through happiness. Now, some of us are there sitting there, maybe stroking our chin, saying, hmm, yes. That is so true. There might be a few others that are more honestly thinking, wow, that old fellow's got to get himself a life. Well, coming back to James. 
I actually need to remember that that little passage that Andrew read out for us earlier is actually addressing two types of people. There are two types of people on viewer. One's in verse 4 and the other one's in verse 8. I've got it here on the screen. So in verse 4, one person is this at the top. They are mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then the other one's in verse 8. Another person who is double-minded and unstable in all they do. They are vastly different, but the difference is this, how they respond to trials. It's an attitude problem, you see. It starts, verse 2 here on the screen, thanks Vince, consider, consider it pure joy. The question is, how do you consider trial? What is your attitude to trial? What is your response to suffering? The passage speaks of trials of many kinds so what are they well it's actually speaking about all the mess of life in a broken world things like war or sickness relationship breakdown financial hardship we could go on and on later in the letter james is going to talk about christian suffering like persecution and opposition but it's important to note this the passage isn't making light of pain the bible recognizes pain as real so james isn't here not saying deny your pain nor is he saying, enjoy your pain. The trial itself is not the joy, but rather it's the encounter with the trial, the opportunity that it provides, the opportunity to build a godly response and a Christ-like attitude to trials. Suffering is not easily solved. Often there's nothing we can do about it. But there's one thing we can do one thing that we can control, and that's our response to trials. And this is what the passage is getting at. Despite something being a trial, there's great good that can come out of it. Have a look at these verses again here on the screen. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's an important thing going on here. Illustrated by a guy called Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian psychologist, a psychiatrist. He survived the Nazi war camps uh, in World War II. And he observed that while he was in the, um, the war camps, that those who survived were the ones who were suffering with a purpose. They had some sort of purpose to look forward to. Because suffering without purpose actually just led to angst, despair and death. I mean, take the example of an athlete. They, don't, they go through lots of trial, put themselves through pain, but they don't complain because they have a purpose. The purpose is to run faster, jump higher, throw further, with the hope of winning the prize. And trials, likewise, have a purpose for us. They function to grow your faith and to produce endurance in you that produces mature Christians. Suffering turns weak Christians into godly Christians who will be found faithful on the last day. So the question is this as a Christian, do you want to mature? Do you want to mature in Christ? If yes, then consider trials as pure joy. But that's not the way we naturally think. If anything like me, you'd prefer to wallow in your pain 
prefer to use uh, trials as an excuse for self-pity, maybe even an excuse to sin. But a bad situation is not an excuse for a sinful reaction. It's not an excuse to become bitter. It's actually an opportunity to become better. Why joy in trial? Because it provides an opportunity to become more like Jesus. Because you see, God never wastes the pain of his people. Rather, he uses it. He uses it to refine us, to purify us. Trials develop perseverance and endurance. They're not there simply to make us stoic or to punish us. They're there to lead us to complete maturity. Again, trials are there to make us become more like Jesus. First time I remember seeing a friend of mine called Darren, we were playing touch footy together when we were at uni. Over the years, his mobility started to decline. Initially, it was just a restricted walk, then difficulty climbing stairs. A couple of years later, he had a walking stick. To now, 30 years since I met him, living in need of full physical assistance. That's the monster of muscular dystrophy. Now, his physical disability aside, Darren was a high achiever, a really capable guy. One of the sharpest guys I know. A loving husband, father of four children. But what's most impressive about Darren is his strong and grounded joy in God, his thankful heart in Jesus, despite the intense trial that he's going through. He displays a maturity in Christ that outstrips nearly everybody I know. I'll be honest. He puts me to shame. Now, Darren would be embarrassed if he knew that I was talking about him like this. He'd be the first one to admit that he's not perfect. I'm sure he's had many moments where he's had that he and his family have grieved about his disability. I'm sure there's been frustration and tears and the trials have made him into one of the most Christ-like people I know. Now, Darren's example um, is actually no longer just a theoretical issue for me. Because five years ago, um, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. It's a progressive disorder that affects the nervous system. Symptoms include a bit of shaking, stiffness in movement. It's not fatal, but symptoms will slowly become worse with time, more and more disabling. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I'll tell you what. It's made me reflect on some pretty important questions in life. And one of them is this. What do I want most in life? What do I want most in life? Is it my health? Or is it to become more like Jesus? It's a question for us at all. If it is to become more like Jesus, then we'll embrace the trial because it'll help us to mature, to become more like Jesus. But if your deepest desire is ease and pleasure, well, what's he going to do when trials come? Get out of the way. Get out of the way. I'll be honest. I default into that camp. I default into that camp. God's words exposed me. And maybe there are others here today like me who, in theory would like to respond to trials in the right way, but in reality, 
will fall a long way short. Perhaps there are people here that would like to do better, but it just seems beyond you. Sometimes it just seems beyond me. We all want to live life on a bed of roses, live a long, happy life, get to 100 years of age, get our birthday wishes from the king, then we hope to die peacefully in our sleep and be taken to glory. The older I get, the more I realise that comfort is my idol. The trials are there to correct my worship and to bring us closer to the true God. You see, it's better to be broke and trusting God than rich and ignoring him, worshipping a God, an idol of greed. It's better to be sick and dependent on God than healthy and self-sufficient, full of self-confidence, ignoring God. Now you might be thinking, Paul, what planet are you living on? It's not real at all. When suffering and difficulty comes, I collapse like a deck of cards. And I just spit the dummy. Well, verse 5 comes to our aid here. Verse 5 got here on screen. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Ask God for wisdom, it says. He is a generous giver, generously giving to all without finding fault. He is gracious. He is merciful. Will you trust him when things go wrong? Will you ask him to help you think wisely when the trials come? And they will. Will you remain single-minded in your trust in God? Suffering will make you better or it will make you bitter. The difference is wisdom. The difference is wisdom. But the Bible reminds us that when you ask for wisdom, don't waste God's time by asking for something that really deep down you don't want. Have a look at here at verse 6 on the screen. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. If you're not interested in considering it pure joy when suffering comes, if you're not prepared to think differently about trials, well, if you're not prepared to listen to God, then don't waste God's time. Don't ask him if you're not going to believe in him. If you're going to be double-minded, hedge your bets. That's what James describes doubt as. Double-mindedness. It's the person who has a divided loyalty. The person who's not wholeheartedly trusting God, but actually looking for answers in their own strength. And so in a trial, they don't cling to God. Rather, they drift away like the waves of the sea. Do you remember the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Just hours before his crucifixion, he prayed this. Father, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus didn't want the trial, but he was willing to embrace it. 
if it was for God's plan. He held fast to the Father through the trial. The perfect Lord took on our sin, went through the trial of the cross that we may be saved. And not just saved, but transformed into maturity. Friends, I'm afraid trials are not an option for the Christian life. They're a reality. They are necessary. Don't pray to God that you won't have trials. Rather, pray to God that when trials come, you would rejoice and be thankful that God is shaping you into the likeness of his son. I heard a preacher say once that he used to pray that he would for his kids and he would pray to God that he would keep his children from suffering, pain and rejection. But then, after a deeper reading of the letter of James, he said this, I want my children to go through just enough suffering to be mature. I want them to have just enough loneliness that they will cry out to God. I want them to have enough rejection to desire the acceptance of God. I want them to have enough, just enough sorrow that they might seek out the joy of the Lord. That sort of prayer. You can pray for me if you like. Then I'll just pray for you kids. It's for any stage of life, for all of us. Friends, you can't become mature without experiencing trials of some kind. Trials are the things that actually help us grow into maturity. So that's why we face difficulty with joy. It's not easy. You know the great news is God knows that. He knows that. That's why he invites us to pray to him. He's waiting for us to ask for his help. To ask for his wisdom. Friends, he is generous. And he will uphold you and shape you into the image of his son. And so we look forward to that wonderful promise of God that we read earlier here on the screen, chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, you are a generous giver of every good gift. What we need more than anything is wisdom. We want wisdom to rejoice when suffering and trials come. Help us to understand, Lord, that these trials are your way for making us more like Jesus so that we might receive the crown of life. And it's in Jesus' name, power, powerful name we pray. Amen.